sort of in that gray area between the natural world and a domesticated world and I try to control it with these parameters of uh, land and fencing and but I sort of let the cattle do their own thing looking at it from multiple angles and trying to understand our place in the universe. Welcome back to The Simple Plate, tales of local food produced by local people. Dale Peacock technically runs a cattle ranch outside of Port Wing, Wisconsin, but he calls it a small, certified organic family farm that specializes in grass-fed, pasture-raised beef. Whatever you call it, Red Hoof Farm has been in business and certified for 20 years or so. And Dale's pretty adamant about the idea that cattle growers and their cattle can have a pretty nice life for themselves on the South Shore and do it sustainably in a way that doesn't harm the earth. Of course, for beef cattle, that pretty nice life has a finite end to it. But that's just one of the things Dale grapples with every day. After all, if you're in relationship with the, quote, stepmothers of humanity, unquote, you don't take that responsibility lightly. We're big advocates of the grazing. Uh, We've been grazing since we started farming, which is around 2000. It's one thing surprising on the South Shore there is actually how much pasture land and hay ground there is. It fits very well with uh, the sustainable system of of grass-fed beef. Basically, uh, we're concentrating our growth on right now is trying to get other producers to become uh, one grass-fed and and certified organic. Uh, we do believe in the certified organic since we've been certified uh, certified organic since 2001. It is a challenging in a, a situation in market up here, somewhat because of geography, location, and sustainability. Also, in, in our opinion, means that you can make a hopefully a a living wage doing what you're doing and as we all know farming's a pretty hard business to to uh to make a living at one it is it is a business aspect and i we we truly believe that the business is intertwined we don't try to separate it it's intertwined with also a philosophy of sustainability we do think this area right here it's it's a, it's a well suited situation to our unique environment we're not tilling the soil we're hopefully doing some carbon sequestering it shows the strength of the agriculture, at least from cattle raising in, in our area. We believe it's one of the better ways to hopefully uh, also make a living, trying to make sure that the farmer gets paid uh, accordingly to uh, you know the efforts that they're putting into their um, their endeavor. Trying to convince people to go organic and grass-fed, and that can be somewhat of a challenge because of some of the paperwork required and the verification. That's something that we really emphasize is the verification and the accountability. As with anything, marketing can get pretty exuberant. We're encouraging people to walk the talk, saying that you know we actually are doing these things and we have a unique environment. It might be slightly more expensive to the clients and the buyers, but at least we can show that we're you know we're doing hopefully the right thing. We got associated with the Normandy cattle. Our herd is primarily Normandy, which come from Normandy, France. They're typically a a more, what they call a dual-purpose cow. They have a little more meat than, let's say, a Jersey or a Holstein, but they also produce uh, produce nice milk, typically higher butter fat, and they're also known to be very good grazers. I I somewhat have a rainbow coalition of cattle out there. I have 
I have some Jersey crosses and some Dutch belted crosses, some uh, Irish airs, and there's a couple of other uh, uh, red Holsteins mixes in there. So it's a real odd color sometimes, but uh, primarily the, the, the predominant breed is Normandy. And as we have phased out of dairy, we are bringing genetics or a bull into our herd that is somewhat more beef oriented, but still has some of those characteristics. It doesn't. It's not totally like Black Angus or Hereford. It's. Uh, it does still have some milk quality to it because we also still like to occasionally milk some cattle for our own use on the farm. I always tell people to be careful with bulls. Uh, you, I mean, there's horror stories with bulls and and uh, in dairy herds. And for some reason, the dairy breeds have tend to produce some of the more obnoxious, dangerous bulls as compared to the beef industry. Always, a lot of places don't even deal with bulls anymore. They just do uh, artificial insemination. And, and I'm always amazed when I see farmers befriending these bulls and they're sitting there rubbing them um, and scratching them. But these bulls are very protective of their herd sometimes. If there's a stranger that comes around, they're not as friendly. Dale, with 80 head of cattle, you kind of have the ability to get to know the animals individually, yet you are raising them for food. Did you have that part kind of all figured out before you got into farming, or was that something that you kind of had to figure out as you go? Yeah, you know, that's a good question, Lisa. That's more of a actually a pretty deep question because it's sort of philosophical in a way. I did not have that formed very well when I started, and it, it's evolved, and it really it's evolving in a circular fashion. It doesn't really seem to have an end point in a way. As I'm getting older, and I am in my mid-50s, you know, I, I do have some strong attachments, especially, I think, a dairy farmer compared to a beef farmer. With dairy, you're much more hands-on with the cattle, and you, I think you develop a much stronger bond. I mean, I would use these simplistic and probably ineffective tools for trying to separate animals that I knew were going to be raised for meat protein or beef versus dairy. You know, I wouldn't name the bull calves. I would only name the heifers. I I didn't want to get a bond with those animals because I know they were going to be raised for a certain purpose, and and that's it. I'm an omnivore. I love... uh, the taste of meat and I utilize it. So I have to sort of, it's a big question in regards to how do you use this system of where you're raising these animals, where you know there's an end game of slaughter. It's something I've, I've pretty much allowed to happen right now and it just sort of works. And this is the way I, I don't want to say rationalize, but this is how I see the world. Um, I'm sort of in that gray area between the natural world and the domesticated world. And I try to control it with these parameters of, uh, land and fencing, and but I sort of let the cattle do their own thing, looking at it from multiple angles and trying to understand our place in the universe. There are certain dairy cattle I would have a very hard time slaughtering. Let's say that I had to put them down at the farm. It'd be very hard. It'd be like your dog, in a way, uh, a dog that you have a very strong attachment to. How does that fit into the whole scheme of a, a food-based system versus a pet system? There, oh, I'm, there, I'm sure there's overlay and overlap, but, and you can see where this discussion could go down a rabbit hole. Should we be eating other animals? It's a very good question, really, because uh, because you can pull other variables, too. In. Where we're located in, let's say, the Twin Ports, where we're at roughly at the, what, 46 parallel, vegetable growing does get sort of difficult as uh, where we are and further north because of our climate and our short growing season. 
Some people will use that rationalization. You can also say, from an evolutionary point of view, cattle are one of the most successful species on the Earth. I think they're on every continent besides maybe Antarctica because they've developed this, uh, I guess you could say, co-evolution with humanity. It's a strange, uh, you know, uh, codependence in a way, but it's allowed them to be spread throughout the, following the, and in the paths of humanity. I remember there was a postcard when I was growing up and I'd go to the dairy expos. They would have all the pictures of the, the cows, the females, laying down, and they would show the, the five main breeds in the United States at that time. And they would say, the, the stepmothers of humanity. <laughs> and... Ironically, bovine reproduction and lactation is very, very similar to a human's lactation and gestation and milk content and components of that milk. So you can see where this can really get into a, an interesting discussion. It can go on and on in some interesting ways. We have a very strong bond with cattle. I mean, if you look back at some of those Neolithic caves in Europe or even Central Asia or even Northern Africa... You see pictures of, you know, different kinds. Well, they were probably more like water buffalo, but Minoan culture with the jumping over the bulls with uh, those acrobats. It's it's just a fascinating history with cattle and humanity. You can listen to this conversation again online at KUMD.org under the Northland Morning tab, where you can also leave comments or questions. This episode of The Simple Plate was written and produced at KUMD by Lisa Johnson, with music from Andy Halleck and Polo and support provided by the Whole Foods Co-op of Duluth. The Simple Plate is also located wherever you find your podcasts, so you can take us with you when you go out to eat or share us with your friends and family. 